We're not just neutral. We're actually changing the balance of CO2. So how that practically works is obviously we plant trees. The trees that we plant sequester a lot of carbon. And so the more you search, obviously the more trees we're able to plant, the more carbon is sequestered. But then the other aspect of that is Ecosia actually built its own solar plants. And so all of the energy that powers Ecosia searches are taken from our own solar plants and they're 100% renewable energy generated. We're actually producing more than we need, double the amount we need to power our search service. And so that extra energy that we're generating is being put back into the grid and we're crowding out dirty energy essentially with the searches and the activities that we're doing at Ecosia. And so that's what we mean when we say we are more than carbon neutral. At this point, we're actually carbon positive. As a business owner myself, I acknowledge and fully understand marketing is an activity that every business must do if they want to continue growing. That's why I curated this growth marketing podcast series to help you grow a business beyond your first million. At the same time, as a CFO, I encourage you to see marketing just as one business activity that provides critical information for your future decision. This is where business finance and marketing come together while focusing on one common goal, your why, your purpose. Let me give you an example of how business finance and marketing come together using today's episode about paid advertising. When you and your marketing team decide to invest in paid advertising, you want to track the traffic-driven metrics. For example, CTR, click-through rate, and CPC, cost per click, which are commonly measured by marketers. These metrics are key when understanding the performance of your ads. But if this is where your measurement ends, you are missing out on the bigger picture because it is unclear which of these clicks are really turning into leads. Therefore, your marketing team also needs to track the conversion-driven metrics. For example, what is your web page conversions? What is your call conversions? Without this, you won't understand how your paid marketing efforts are truly performing. Up to this point, we are only talking about the cost side, and all of these are important for future expense if you are building a financial model. Now, you also need to go to the other side. Your marketing team also needs to care about the revenue side, which means they need to track how each campaign results in revenue. Not only they can use the data for future revenue forecast, but now you know how much is the real return on investment from each marketing campaign if those are aligned with your purpose and you can make a decision if you want to do it again or what needs to be modified. So all of the trackings of data is where your marketing teams becomes a finance ambassador. Your business activities inform and influence each other. I'm not a marketing expert, but when I help my clients, I want to understand how each business activity influences the other and how each activities aligns with the purpose. We are continuing our journey in this growth marketing podcast series featuring B Corp certified businesses to help you grow beyond your first million while doing good in this world. Last week's episode, which is the first episode of this growth marketing podcast series, was all about search engine optimization. 
Today, we dive into paid advertising as a growth marketing strategy with a search engine that uses its advertising income to plant trees. And they don't stop there. And this search engine is not Google. Ruby Ao, the head of North America of Ecosia, is with us today to share more stories about Ecosia and how to benefit from paid advertising through syndicated network partner. Ecosia is the first German B Corp certified business. For those of you who don't know what is B Corp certification, go and listen to episode 101 and find out more about B Corp certification. Over the next few weeks, as part of this growth marketing podcast series, you will also gain insight on the following growth marketing strategies, how to build a sustainable and accessible website, and how to create a purpose-driven partnership strategy. You're listening to Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for mission-driven women entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Christina Shahli. If you are new here, a big warm welcome. If we are not connected on LinkedIn, please reach out and say hi because that's where I hang out and share my business finance tips. If you have been listening to this podcast for a while and you are a regular listener, I want you to know I appreciate you. My podcast won't be around without your support. This is a free weekly show where my guests and I want to inspire you to balance between mission and profit, to create an impact in this world, and to achieve financial equality through your business for good. In last week's episode, I mentioned the Purpose to Prosperity Club inside the clubhouse. This is a club that I co-founded together with an impact brand strategist, Holy Grife where every week starting from May 6 at noon Eastern Standard Time or 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, we will host a room with an expert guest and we want you to join us. Our first guest is actually Ruby Ao, so you can ask more questions about Ecosia and the benefit of paid advertising through syndicated partner network. To give you more information about the Purpose to Prosperity Club, check out the one-pager link included in the show notes. In the meantime, if you are interested to reimagine your business financial process as I talk about it in episode 111, let's chat. Book a time with me at christinashahli.com forward slash let's chat. Now, let's find out Ruby's CEO journey. Ruby Ao, welcome to her CEO journey. So before we dive into our conversation about Ecosia and paid advertising, let's start with your own journey. You were an entrepreneur, you founded a company, and then now you're working for a company. So what happened there? Well, the story for me starts in university. And at the time, I was studying a dual degree in business and environmental science. Now, if you've ever kind of delved into these two worlds, you'll immediately notice that they come from very different approaches when it comes to anything to do with sustainability or environment. So you've, you've got the business camp, which is saying environmentalists don't understand that we need growth, that if we want to take care of humans, then we need to kind of push these things forward. And that's the answer, right? More economic growth. And then you have, on the other hand, I remember my environmental professors and the environmental faculty that are kind of looking at the business department and saying, those are all the greedy capitalists that have gotten us to the state that we are today. Uh, you know, it's their fault and money is the root of all evil. 
Well, <laughs> but the thing coming, you know, coming out of those two disciplines, I actually quite enjoyed both of them. I, I loved being part of the natural world. I was doing a lot of scuba diving at the time. And you really see the impact and the differences of protected area versus areas that have been degraded by human use. At the same time, I was really enjoying my business discipline as well. And I think there's an aspect of innovation and kind of creative thinking that you can really do with business of, I see a problem and I want to find a way to solve it. So coming out of that, I I kind of landed in, I want to reconcile these two things. I want to know if there is a way that you can use business for social good. In my case, particularly, I was interested in the environment, but really I was just genuinely interested in can business be a tool for good? Does it have to be this kind of capitalistic, greedy? Mm. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, black I know box. what you're talking. Yeah. <laughs> it ended me in the land of social impact and starting to find a lot of business models that were actually using social good as their main driver and their main objective. It launched me to a fellowship in Nairobi where there's a really strong and burgeoning tech sector, but also very strong social impact sector. I ended up doing a six-month fellowship for a really innovative uh, company called Sanergy that was actually licensing out toilets and slums, but then using the human waste to turn it into market-based fertilizers that people were buying. Whoa, right? so, really? Yeah, a very interesting business model. <laughs> And I did that fellowship for six months, ended up going out and learning a lot more about social impact within Nairobi. That's when I kind of fell into the ed tech space there, created an ed tech company that I founded and then later exited in Nairobi. And so when I finished that, I had learned a lot about social business and social business models, but it was the point for me that I said, I want to get back to the environmental things that I was really passionate about in university. And I started researching, are there these social impact models that are marrying really for-profit, high-value business models with extremely scalable impact in the environmental space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kind of went into it being like, this is probably too good to be true. I don't <laughs> think this exists. And then, exactly. And I was very lucky. I stumbled across Ecosia. And for me, it was this aha moment of, here's a company that has managed to find an incredibly scalable business model that is profitable but is intentionally reinvesting all of those profits back into social good to create environmental impact on a mass scale. And so uh, that's when I joined Ecosia's team and here I am now. Oh, I wish I knew anything about social enterprise. Like I grew up in an environment, went to school in accounting and I never heard about social enterprise. But again, you know, it was in the 90s, right? So it's, it's a completely, I, I felt like it's a completely different environment. I didn't know anything about B Corp. I didn't know about social enterprises until 2018, believe it or not. Yeah. So at least for your own experience, it was interesting to hear that you have something you believe in that there's got to be a way in doing business where business is being used as a force for good. I didn't think about that until I was like already too deep in a business, in a corporate life, right? And then there is always that nagging feeling like, is it really, this is the way of doing business? Is it just for profit? And then you just forget about everything else? I don't know. It's interesting because I came from a third world country. And then when you came from a poor country like that, I didn't see a lot of social enterprise over there. It's about wealth. You know, how do you make money? And then how do you become wealthy? It's interesting to hear that in Nairobi, it's actually different. 
It's true though. It's not, I would say even, you know, for me, when I was getting into it, it wasn't a path that was very clear to go down. So it wasn't like some of these other disciplines like consulting or investment banking. There was a clear path to getting into that industry and progressing your career. You know, me landing in Nairobi is really, I remember very distinctly booking a flight in the middle of the semester and saying, I'm just going to go to Nairobi for two weeks and have as many conversations as I can and then come back to LA and then decide what to do with my life. But had I not done that, which is a very, you know, just gone rogue thing to do, I think I would have graduated and probably stayed in LA and probably gone down a more traditional path because they're so much easier to find and they're so well-defined for you. Yeah. But sometimes the road that leads you to your life purpose, it's unpredictable. That's what happened to you. You just, you wanted to go for two weeks and then suddenly you're still there right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a bit crazy. I know. So, okay, share a little bit more. What is Ecosia? So my audience understand. In the simplest of terms, Ecosia is a green search engine. It works like any other search platform. And when you're typing in your search terms into a search engine, you'll always notice there's ads, you know, at the top or the bottom or throughout the page of your search results. Now, what happens when you click on those ads is the search engine makes advertising revenue in the background. So that's how all of the search engines that are really household names today got their start. And Ecosia does the exact same thing. But what they do is they take up to 100% of the profits they make from that advertising revenue, and they put it back into tree planting. So to date, we've planted over 122 million trees and counting. We've got a huge global support base of 15 million users who have made these tree planting possible. And we're actually now expanding in, you know, beyond tree planting, but we're supporting regenerative agriculture projects. We're supporting renewable energy projects. We are supporting grassroots climate activism, people who reach out to us with really inspiring projects that we think we can get behind. But mm -hmm. that is all coming from the search results that, you know, is fueled by user support all over the world. So let's just call out a name here, Google, right? Mm -hmm. And then yep. <laughs> I, I do a search over there. But I, I don't click on the ads. So Google doesn't really make money for me. So what is the difference if people is just using Ecosia for search engine? Are they doing something good for the environment? Is Ecosia basically like for every searches that, that we are using as a user? Are you guys planting tree using the number of searches? Like, is that how it works? So to address first the, the elephant in the room, which is always Google, right? And we're very clear and upfront. We know Google is a behemoth competitor who has locked up the entire market. And I could probably speak a lot about the kind of monopolistic practices they've used to get there. But, but monopoly in fact, is everywhere. <laughs> the monopoly is uh, truly everywhere you look, Google is. But Google... They are actually, in fact, making money off of your clicks. And I hear this a lot from people saying, well, I don't really click on the ads, actually. I don't, I don't think I do that. But a lot of times, I think you would surprise yourself with, you do click on the ads, probably more so than you're consciously aware of. But even if you're not, that's not, you know, Google's only revenue stream. What they're doing is they're actually collecting data on your usage. They're building essentially a user profile of you. And that is Google's most valuable asset is the data they collect on all of the you know, millions and billions of people who are searching on their pages. Because what they can do is they turn around those profiles and they give it to other advertisers 
And that's why their advertising platform is best in the world. It's because they know every single thing about you. They put that into their advertising platform. And then when somebody else is doing advertising, they can target you down to your zip code, your interests, your behavioral patterns, because that's come from Google search data on you. And, and that's a very different way than what Ecosia does and the way Ecosia approaches it, which is we're completely privacy friendly. That's one aspect of it. But I think the second part of your question is, is it even helpful if let's say you are searching on Ecosia and you're not clicking any ads? And the answer is yes. So Ecosia is an advertising company at its heart, right? That's how we make money. Well, I would say a business model is advertising. We are a tree planter at heart is what we are. But if you think about the value of an advertising platform, the more eyeballs are on an advertising platform, the more valuable that digital space is, right? So nobody really cares if only 50 people are looking at your website or your page, but if a billion people are looking at it, suddenly a lot of people want to be on your website. They want to be seen and they want to be known. So in that way, if you're using Ecosia, you are basically filling out Ecosia's ad value in terms of an advertising space, in terms of a place that people want to advertise, want to be seen, think that their brand can get recognition among users that they're trying to get in touch with. So let's say, what is the difference if I'm searching, let's say I'm searching for a washing machine using Google versus using Ecosia. How does this Ecosia search engine works when someone is looking at a specific stuff because you guys are an ethical tech company. So how do you approach that search? So practically speaking, the way that ads show up on Ecosia is the same as any other search engine. There's an advertiser in the background that has gone through a system to place some bids on, you know, ad groups or keywords and eventually their ad shows up to certain users who are on Ecosia's platform or another search platform. So practically speaking, that's the same. But what's different about Ecosia is I think the way that we think about advertising in these spaces in general. And this boils down to what we call a stakeholder approach versus a shareholder approach. So the traditional capitalist company operates under a shareholder approach where the reason that that entity has been set up is to maximize value for the end shareholder. And so you can add on CSR initiatives, you can add on philanthropic giving. There's all this maybe good that's done on the side, but at the end of the day, the reason that organization exists is to make more money for the shareholders. Now, a company like Ecosia and social companies in general, they try to take what is called a stakeholder approach, which means the sole purpose for Ecosia existing is not just to generate wealth for shareholders, but it's looking at this ecosystem holistically. It's saying, how can we treat our employees better? How can we treat our customers better? How do we play fair in the regulatory environment that we're operating in? Uh, sometimes that means paying all of our taxes and not dodging them. Basically, everything that goes into a business in those interactions, considering all of those facets. And so now when you take that logic and you look at something like placing an ad for a washing machine, the shareholder approach says the ad that I'm going to prioritize that I'm going to show first in my list ranking is going to be the washing machine that has the higher profit margin. Right, Regardless of kind of quality or regardless of user feedback, this is the one that makes us the most money when it sells. So I'm going to push, push, push this one. But then if you take the stakeholder lens and you put it to that and you, you might end up with a decision that looks quite different. You might say, well, you know, washing machine A makes me a lot of money. But honestly, I know washing machine B is a lot more energy friendly and eco friendly. 
And so I want to prioritize really pushing this ad or highlighting this ad because I think it's the right thing to do for all of the stakeholders involved. And so it's, it's really taking this broader framework and you can distill it all the way down to what does that look like on an advertising level? And it's something that we try to be really conscious of uh, when we're having conversations with search partners or just thinking through how our kind of search platform shows up. So this is exactly the same approach that you guys do, even if it's not washing machine. Like, let's say that I Google for a service provider, like a digital marketer. Does it work the same way? I know that Ecosia is like a B Corp. For example, if somebody is looking for a digital marketing expert and then they want to hire somebody, the people that showed up under Ecosia is going to be different than in Google? So not necessarily. We don't necessarily apply this lens to every single search result and every single search term because at the end of the day, it's not practical. But I think there are key areas of the business where sometimes we would say, oh, these are specific sectors that really have an impact when it comes to sustainability. And then we might go to our search partners and kind of have a conversation around, does it make sense to uh, adjust these search results? And that's, again, something that we look at at a case-by-case basis. We might say, you know, speaking from a business perspective, the volumes for these kinds of things are so low that it doesn't really make sense for us to do anything. And oftentimes, to be honest, we'll look at adjusting search results over kind of paid advertising. So one of the things that we introduced about last year is something called green search, where if you search on Ecosia for, let's say, baby food, and a lot of companies pop up. We'll put a little green leaf icon next to the companies, and oftentimes they're B Corps, but we'll put a little green leaf uh, icon next to companies that we know are doing environmental or sustainable good. At the same time, if you search for something like oil and gas, you'll see that some of the results that pop up, these companies have a little coal plant icon next to them. And these are companies that are still engaged in practices that we know are not environmentally sustainable. It's never really about censoring the information or changing the information. It's more about highlighting the background of certain decisions so that you as a user can make better choices. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. Now, how is Ecosia tree planting? It's woven into its brand and its audience narrative. Ecosia's tree planting is the reason we exist. And it makes for a really interesting experience working at Ecosia because when you're making decisions, you're not thinking in terms of, you know, how much users is that going to get me or how much money. The end, the end goal always becomes how many trees is that going to plant? You know, that's the way we measure success as a company. And I think when it comes to advertising and paid advertising, that narrative is always front and center. And I think for a lot of social impact companies listening to this, It's worth it to think about that balance of we are a search engine, but at the end of the day, we are a tree planting company. So when we go out with our branding and we go out with our advertising and we go out with our user narrative, we're not trying to convince you to use Ecosia as a search engine. We're trying to convince you to use Ecosia to plant trees with us. And that's a fundamentally different way to think about the story that you're putting out there for your users and how you're going to lead in advertising. And you're always going to have this two-step dynamic of what's my business, what's my impact. I also heard in one of your interviews, you were saying that Ecosia is more than carbon neutral. So can you elaborate a little bit? What does that mean, more than carbon neutral? What it means is that Ecosia is actually removing 
CO2 from the air. We're not just neutral, we're actually changing the balance of CO2. So how that practically works is obviously we plant trees Mm -hmm. and the trees that we plant sequester a lot of carbon. And so the more you search, obviously the more trees we're able to plant, the more carbon is sequestered. But then the other aspect of that is Ecosia actually built its own solar plants. And so all of the energy that powers Ecosia searches are taken from our own solar plants and they're hundred percent renewable energy generated. We're actually producing more than we need, double the amount we need to power our search service. And so that extra energy that we're generating is being put back into the grid and we're crowding out dirty energy essentially with the searches and the activities that we're doing at Ecosia. And so that's what we mean when we say we are more than carbon neutral. At this point, we're actually carbon positive. That is impressive. I know based on what I read on the website, because you guys are also showing financial transparency about how the profit are being used. Basically, Ecosia is giving back 80% of its profit to plant trees and then doing all this other project. And yet you still able to build your own solar plant. That is not cheap. That is a <laughs> lot of big capital investment right there. I think it speaks to the way that Ecosia is set up as a company, right? And this is the difference between a business model like Ecosia, where your KPIs are set against your impact versus another large company where the good that you do is a CSR side department. Because for us, if your KPI is impact, everything is driving towards that. And and you're saying, well, if we can't be carbon positive to some extent, that's that's not enough, right? We, we've got to match up to the impact goals that we're setting for ourselves. And so it makes sense for us to funnel a large investment towards something like building our own solar plant system and because our goal is to achieve the best possible impact possible. Whereas for uh, you know another company that tree planting is a CSR project, you would never build a solar plant system, right? To power the searches yeah. to plant the trees. Yeah. It just, it doesn't make sense. You're just going to say, I'm going to put in, I don't know, maybe a million dollars to plant she, uh, plant trees at the cheapest cost possible. And once they're in the ground, kind of tick, 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 done and dusted. Now I can move on with my primary business, whatever it is. And that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. I listen to a lot of podcasts and then I listen to a lot of social enterprise podcasts. And there was a discussion about tree planting. A lot of businesses are trying to help with the climate change, trying to give back. And then they would have this business model where, you know, for every X dollars, then they're going to plan three. When I was listening to this podcast, the person that was being interviewed, he said, do you realize that not every trees is actually equal, meaning that Planting a tree, just any tree, doesn't mean that you are helping the climate change. There are certain trees that may not help the climate change because for there were so many reasons that he gave it and I couldn't remember. So I'm really curious from Ecosia perspective, how do you guys choose the tree projects or even any project that you guys are doing right now? That's a great question. And it's one of the things that we try to push as education and Ecosia is that there is a right way to plant trees. Mm. And it's, you're 100% right. It's not as simple as just plopping a tree in the ground and saying, well, you know, that's a, that's a tree planted and that's the impact box ticked. What we have at Ecosia is an entire tree planting team led by a chief tree officer who heads this entire process. And we approach it kind of like you would approach investments at a financial company. They go out and they source leads. 
they look at projects that they think, you know, these are projects that could really do a lot in terms of number of trees planted, but also working with communities, biodiversity. We plant trees specifically in biodiversity hotspots where they're needed most. So they go and they source out all of these projects and applications. We do due diligence with each and every partner that we work with to vet that they have the experience needed to plant the trees that they say they're going to plant. And we also try to make sure we're working with local stakeholders. So, you know, we might be working with a nonprofit in Canada, but maybe Maybe we're working with a village chief and his tribe in Burkina Faso, or we're working with a small community uh, organization in Spain. So it, it just really depends on who's on the ground and who has the expertise, right, because they are part of that community. I know that you, you have a project in Indonesia, don't you? Yes, we do. And it's one of our, I think, one of our most loved projects with users, but we're restoring palm oil plantations there and seeing a lot of wildlife come back as a result. Our tree planting team has an entire database and they would be able to give you not only location, but stories and photos. Um, the work they do is really incredible. Got it. So, you know, once we've kind of gotten the project applications, we'll work with them on a milestone-based approach. So we'll say, you know, let's start small. Let's mm -hmm. make sure this is a working relationship. You know, maybe we get 10,000 trees in the ground. If we've done that successfully, then we'll continue to scale up from there. And at minimum, we always monitor the trees that we plant for at least three years to make sure they've kind of gotten past the more uh, the most susceptible period where they might die. So any of the trees you plant or, or see on our tree counter actually have been alive for at least three years, if not more. Um, we don't start counting them as a tree planted until then. And, and we continue monitoring beyond that three years. The other things that Ecosia does is we usually only plant native tree species, not exotic species, and we do not plant monocultures. So something like a palm oil plantation, right? You could say that's trees in the ground, but that's a monoculture that is actually negatively impacting biodiversity. So we make sure we're planting healthy ecosystems, not only different types of trees, but trees that are native to the area and trees that we know will help restore and regenerate uh, the area that they're planted. So how is it from three and then now you may be going to regenerative farming? What is the correlation in it? How, how are you going to yeah. count this, do this project? Regenerative agriculture essentially is just working and using the land in such a way that you are kind of maintaining the status quo, right? It's ability to be healthy rather than depleting the soil, depleting the ecosystem. And what you end up with after a few years of planting is kind of a barren plot that would need several years to recover before it can be used again. So how we kind of started down this journey is because we work with a lot of smallholder farmers in the work that we do. And part of that community impact is making sure that they are planting trees, but also planting trees in a way that increases yields, helps them improve their standard of living, you know, has all of these side benefits. As a result, we were doing a lot of what we call agroforestry, which is integrating tree planting into agricultural practices in a way that actually increases yield, improves soil health, just all around has these restorative effects. And so this was a natural, natural thing that we were exploring through our planting projects. And it's really, I think, picked up because more and more people have realized this is the answer, right? Agriculture is such a large piece of what the entire planet depends on to survive. And if agriculture as a practice is depleting the earth, 
we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot, but if we can do it in a way that's regenerative and restorative, Mm -hmm. it's a double win, right? We are not only uh, kind of self-sustaining as a population, but we're healing the earth that is vital to our own survival. You know, Ecosia has started investing more and more into this topic. A few years ago, we launched a regenerative agriculture uh, incubator where farmers can actually apply to Ecosia. Um, We'll kind of work with them and teach them about how you can incorporate regenerative techniques into your farming practices. Sometimes there, actually oftentimes, there is a large upfront capital investment needed, you know, equipment or all of these things to transition to regenerative agriculture. But Ecosia will front that cost And then we'll work out with the farmer either a scheme for them to pay it back or do a profit sharing of the yields that they have. And so this is an incubator that now has supported several successful regenerative projects in Europe. And we're going to keep growing and expanding that over the next couple of years. I think what I really love with what you talk about, about regenerative farming, and then even your tree planting project, specifically the one that in Indonesia, if I'm not mistaken, It's not only about tree planting. You are also helping the farmers and the family to generate income. I find like the effect of this, it's become everything, which is absolutely related to the 17 SDG of the United Nation, right? You are helping people. So there is no poverty. You're reducing poverty. And then at the same time, you are reducing inequality. And then you are helping the environment. So I love it. And I think what you guys are doing at Ecosia, even like have a specific department that is looking at the three project and every projects out there. That's amazing. (laughs) I'm so impressed with this. So share a little bit. Who are the user of Ecosia? We have a quite unique audience in that they skew very young. So about 60% of our users are under the age of 35 and around 30% of those total are actually under the age of 24. And so if you're looking at our biggest search competitors, that's very different. Most of our search competitors have an audience that is much older. Typically, it also skews male, whereas at Cozy, we see a fairly even gender split. It's almost 50-50. There's a slight inclination uh, towards more female users. But really, it is about even. And we think the reason for this is because climate change is an equal topic of concern across genders. But it is also especially resonant, I think, with the younger generation, because they've grown up seeing the worst effects of climate, right? They've grown up seeing worse storms, worse hurricanes, flooding, fires, and they're quite angry about it, as they should be. They're saying, we don't have a healthy earth to inherit because you guys have messed it up for us. So we really see this resonate with younger users is is the Kosia's mission to stop climate change and at least, you know, do our part to make it a little better. And what that means though, for people who are working with us on their platform is you do have a direct channel to these highly engaged, highly uh, educated, highly like, you know, up in arms, passionate, ready to go users who are ready to put, their, you know, their money where their mouth is and act on some of the social issues that we really care about. What about in terms of location? Are there more user in North America, more user in Europe, in Asia? As a German company, Ecosia started out in Berlin and 
Germany is our home base. It's where we have the most users, and that's very closely followed by France. That being said, we've just started kind of jumping across the ocean to the U.S., which now accounts for, it's now ticking up past 10% of our users and growing. And the U.S. is where we expect to invest a lot of our time and energy over the next few years. The way that I think about it is that Cozy has kind of grown up, right? It's uh, it's really gotten a foothold in the EU markets. We're now really strong in UK, Germany, and France. And for us, America is the next frontier where climate change is such an important topic. It's a hotly debated one, but it's one where people care. And so that's where we need to bring our service. That's where we need to get more people engaged and say, look, there's a way you can come on board. And there's a there's a way that you can come and do good with us. Let's talk about this paid advertising because that's how Ecosia makes money. Let's say that my audience are interested not only to use Ecosia as a search engine, but they also want to partner with Ecosia and promote their business with Ecosia. How does it work? Ecosia sits within the Microsoft Advertising Network. So Bing and Microsoft are our main search partners. Uh, what this means is if you're trying to advertise with Ecosia, you would actually go and set up your account with Microsoft. And now within Microsoft, there's a couple of options. You can choose to advertise with what is called owned and operated only. So this essentially means you're advertising only with Microsoft's network and Yahoo's network. The other option, and this is the one that your default kind of opted into, is you advertise with owned and operated, as well as what we call syndicate partners. And Ecosia falls into this bucket. It is one of Microsoft's syndicate search partners. Other partners include uh, companies like DuckDuckGo, Apple, or Skype. And you are by default placing ads or bidding on ads across all of these networks. But if you want to specifically target Ecosia, then you would choose the third option, which is to advertise with syndicate partners only. And that's what we would recommend if you are trying to, again, tap into this more unique and highly targeted audience, then syndicate is the option that you would go for. So what is the benefit, though? Like, is the benefit of being part of this syndicated partner network? As an advertiser, one of you know the most straightforward benefit is that it increases your reach it increases your volume, it increases your clicks. And that's kind of intuitive, right? As you jump into the syndicate bucket, it opens you up to more opportunities. But to tie some numbers to that, about 30% of all of Microsoft's ad conversions come from syndicate partners. And especially if you're an advertiser with a mobile-focused product, a whopping 69% of all conversions across Microsoft advertising come from syndicate partners. That's one clear benefit. But the other ones that I think are less known is you will most likely see a lower cost per click. And there's a good chance you might see better quality traffic as well. So on average, costs per click on syndicate partners networks are about 45% lower than owned and operated. So that's that's about 42 cents versus 23 cents that you're seeing. Triodos Bank, which is Europe's largest ethical bank, they told us that they saw their CPC slash down by over a third when they went from Google to targeting ads in the syndicate network and Ecosia. So that is a pretty significant jump if you are trying to improve your ROIs. I did a little bit research on this. And so let's say that it has like five websites. There's Ecosia, One, DuckDuckGo, and then Yahoo, Bing, and all that stuff, right? Because I think Yahoo and Bing needs to be part of the syndicated partner network. And then I believe that there is a stat for each of the website 
to understand where is the biggest reach for your advertising. Once you do a campaign, for example, the syndicated partner network will give you a list of where is the biggest target. And then I think you can also select if you don't see result in one of the website, then you can exclude that website. So you can be more targeted on the website that give you the biggest result. Is that assumption correct? Yes. So domain exclusions, 100%. And so Microsoft and Yahoo, they are kind of in that owned and operated bucket. So they are not part of the syndication network. But as I mentioned, Ecosia, Dr. Go, Skype, I believe Verizon is one, Apple, these are all syndicate partners. And that essentially just means they are leveraging Microsoft's kind of search platform. But when you opt into syndicate partners, you're right. You can see where traffic is coming in. You can see which sites are performing the best. And you can also exclude with domains. So let's say you're you're seeing that maybe Ecosia and one other website is really drawing the traffic from all the syndication partners and you specifically want to target your ads to Ecosia and this one other website. Then you can essentially exclude the domains of all the other syndicate partners and say, I don't want my advertising bids to go there. I just want these two. And that's a way that you can narrow down that focus a little bit. Can they choose only just to use to advertise on Ecosia and then exclude a domain exclu- uh, exclusion for everything else? Yes, there's no option box that says, you know, advertise on Ecosia only, but you can do exactly what you just suggested, which is exclude all domains except for Ecosia. Mm, okay, but does the result, the, the 30% conversion the 69% conversion from mobile and the 45% cheaper on the CPC. If you exclude everybody, the other domain, does it still work the same way? So these are general stats that kind of speak to the performance of syndicate partners across the board. And there's unfortunately no way for me really to say, will you get the same performance with Ecosia or not? Because it's not only dependent on Ecosia, but it's also dependent on the way that you are placing your ads. So everything from what is your copywriting look like? What is your ad creative look like? How relevant is your ad to your audience? How much were you willing to bid on an ad space? So it will look different for every advertiser. Mm-hmm. But okay. it's, it's being able to kind of get a sense of these general guidelines of what are the benefits of syndicate as a broad option. Instead of operated and owned. Owned and operated, yeah. Oh, owned and operated. <laughs> Very confusing. <laughs> I know, it's <laughs> Lots of alliteration. I'm like, oh, exactly. oh, I'm like, okay, owned and <laughs> Okay, so you touch on a little bit about it depends on certain specific things that you as an advertiser, a business as an advertiser, to achieve success in this syndicated partner network, right? So I'm curious, what advertiser or businesses need to have in place so they can have this effective advertising campaign with the syndicated partner? I think the general best practices that work for any paid campaign are generally transferable across the Ecosia. So for listeners who might be starting out on paid advertising for the first time, I think a couple of things. One is to start your campaign and and start with you're planning with a keyword planner. There's a tool for that within Microsoft's ad network. This basically lets you see uh, new keywords that people are searching, which are related to your business. You can see the volume of searches that they're actually attracting. You can see how competitive they are. So for example, 
maybe you're trying to sell cat food and you see that the term itself, cat food, everybody is trying to bid on that. And so the price has gone really high. But there's another keyword in there that says food for cats. It's just a slight rephrasing. But maybe that one is still getting pretty good search, but it's not as competitive, right? People aren't bidding on it as much. It's a little bit cheaper. So start with that tool. Try to get a sense of what keywords are linking to your business, what's relevant, how expensive each keyword is uh, to bid on. And start there. Some, I think, other general best practices is to also set a higher bid on your keyword when you're starting out. Because what you want to do is you want the algorithm, the advertising algorithm, to get in a volume that it can start learning what works for you. And so the danger of setting too low of a budget at the beginning is maybe it just doesn't get the volume it needs. And, you know, you end up getting results that weren't so good. You'd rather start high, get those learnings, and then adjust down later if you'd want to. Based on what you have known or what Ecos- the information that Ecosia have so far, is there like a specific type of business that can benefit from advertising with the syndicate uh, network partner? I can't speak for the syndicate network as a whole, but what we know anecdotally from a lot of partner conversations at Ecosia is that we have a really young and highly motivated audience who are leaning towards purpose-driven businesses. And so when you have advertisers with purpose-driven models that are placing ads on Ecosia's network, it's a much stronger match, right? You are basically linking purpose-driven brand to purpose-driven users. And that's the synergy that we want to see Uh, versus if you go to another search platform, maybe it has a lot of eyeballs, but only a portion of those people actually care about social impact or that purpose behind your company's brand. And so it's, it's almost, you have to sift through that huge volume to get to those few users that are really, really going to connect with you. Um, And so we're offering a much more targeted way to access those users it comes down to how well you're able to communicate your impact narrative, regardless of whether it's a tangible product or maybe it's service. But being able to tell that story of, you know, this is why we do what we do. Um, And that's one of the reasons why Ecosia invests so much in storytelling. Uh, We have an in-house production team that frequently goes and does site visits to our tree planting projects. We put all of those photos and videos online on our blog and our website. It's because we realize that by telling that impact narrative, that's where you get the human connection and the user connection. And that's when someone buys into your brand and is willing to engage with it. So if my audience wants to get started using Ecosia as their primary search engine, what should they do? Very easy. You just go straight to our website, ecosia.org, and you can download Ecosia or start using it. Um, You can either use it as a browser extension Or you can actually go into the settings of your browser and uh, select Ecosia to be your default search engine. So very straightforward. Uh, Once you do that, you'll see a little tree counter in the top right corner of your page. And that will start ticking up as you do more searches. And it's a it's a really nice way. You know, every time you open up your laptop, you're like, oh, you know, I've planted 45 trees or I've planted 50 trees. Uh, It's a nice way to start or end your day. What about for mobile? Can they use it on mobile as well? Yes. So for mobile, we actually have our own app. Uh, You can go into the Android app store, iOS store, just search for Ecosia, and then you can download it as a full browser app. Okay. I have a question for you because I try this, right? (laughs) So I I use the plugin for Ecosia because I want to start using it. But 
all my email are still using Gmail. So every time I try to click to my Google Drive or my Gmail, it's not a smooth process. Is there a way to make it smoother that I can just like click on my Gmail or my Google Drive? In this case, you know, one of the reasons why it's not smooth and you're getting these notifications that say, you know, this is hard. Do you want to switch your default search engine back to Google (laughs) is because Google owns the (laughs) ecosystem, right? They own, if you have an Android phone, they own the operating system. They own your drive. They own your email. They're going to do everything they can to keep you as a user within Google's ecosystem it's actually anti-competitive. So this is something we've we've actually raised with the EU Commission. We're actively petitioning the government to think about regulating. Uh, so that is a larger conversation. But in terms of <laughs> you yourself and you know personally making that work, we're not at Acosia saying use Acosia, do or die, never touch a Google yeah. product again. Yeah. We yeah. know they're too integrated. We know it's not practical. But you can, for example, download the Gmail app separately. They also have a separate app for Google Drive. And then use Acosia as your browser and for your searches. But then when you need to access uh, something like, you know, email and or drive, you can just go directly to those apps. Okay, got it. There is no shortcut. I thought maybe there is a shortcut. <laughs> there is a shortcut for actually uh, toggling between Ecosia and Google. So if you are searching for something on Ecosia, you didn't find the answer that you were uh, looking for, you can yeah. actually just add hashtag G after your search term on Ecosia, ah. and that will redirect you to Google. That's a good shortcut. Thank you for that. Yep, yeah, we do. <laughs> we do try to make that user experience smooth because we know people are transitioning over from Google and then we know they're getting used to a search engine that is privacy friendly and you know can't tailor the results the way that a non-privacy search engine can Uh, and so we're trying to make that transition as smooth and easy as possible. So is there anything else that you want to share with my audience Ruby that you haven't shared? I usually just like to end these conversations with a huge thank you to whoever is listening. The reason that Akotia has been able to plant over 120 million trees, which if you think about it is is insane, right? It's just people sitting and tapping at their computers and then all over the world, trees are popping up and transforming landscapes. Uh, I constantly every day am amazed by that. And it's really just made possible because users and individual people have made the choice and said, oh, there's actually something I can do here. I can make a small step and then start making that much more of an impact. And so a big thank you to whoever is listening, a big thank you to all the users who have supported us. That's really the message that I'd like to leave everybody with. One last question. I'm kidding. So <laughs> no what, is, what is your Ecosia growth target for this year in terms of tree planting or any other project? We are on a exponential growth curve when it comes to tree planting and our tree team could tell you this. They have you know, been working really, really hard to make sure we get enough tree planting contracts to hit this goal. But to give you some context, last year, July, we hit 100 million trees. And since Ecosia was founded in 2009, that took us a little over a decade to achieve. Now in this next year, we want to plant 75 million trees. So we want to do 75% of what it took us nearly a decade to do. Uh, And that is because user support has been so overwhelming and it's really set us on this exponential growth curve upwards. I read the journey of your CEO and then he did say like the first five years was he had that moment like, you know, how can I keep going? Right. Because you are trying to balance uh, between mission and profit. It's hard because the choices is always about the mission first, but you know that without profit, you cannot really amplify that mission. 
for every purpose-driven B Corp businesses, what I have seen is that balancing between mission and profit, it's always the hardest. It's yes. really, you really need to take a, a holistic approach to make it happen. But, you know, the number of B Corp companies are growing. So I'm happy with that. I will say I have huge personal respect for Christian because he didn't take a, a single dollar from VC investment. You know, he- I know. He stuck to it. And a lot of people question that and say, well, can't Ecosia grow a lot faster, do a lot more and plant a lot more trees if you take, you know, a couple million dollars from a VC who's willing to fund you. And in the short term, yes, that might be true. But the reason that Christian really stuck it out and said, I am going to make sure the ownership of Ecosia is protected and now steward owned is because there's too many examples of companies who started out with the highest standards of B Corp, social good, what have you. But then investors come in and 10, 20 years down the road, they said, wow, this is really lucrative. Let's scale it up. Let's change it a bit more. Where else can we go to monetize? Where else can we go to make even a bigger profit, make this even bigger and more successful? And very slowly, you start drifting away from your core mission and before you know it, you're serving a completely different impact than you started out. And, and I have just huge respect for Christian uh, for taking a really firm stance with Ecosia. I, I read his story and then I, I was impressed myself as well for the fact that he really bootstrapped this, didn't take any outside capital. I know that every funding journey is different. There are more, like even within the B Corp itself, there are fun that are supporting this type of mission. But when you can bootstrap it and then make it happen and then seeing the growth that Ecosia have so far, that is really, really impressive. Really, it goes to Christian strong will to make it happen and then really stuck to his mission. So I appreciate that. So Ruby, where can people find you online? Frequently, I actually write for Ecosia, so you can find my pieces on Ecosia's blog, but also they can find me on LinkedIn, and if they just search Ruby and Ecosia, I'll pop up on there. Ruby, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. And that's bring us to the end of another show. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for women entrepreneurs. If you want to create a proactive financial plan and process for your business so you are ready to weather the financial storm over the next few months, let's chat and see what's possible for you. Book in a time to speak with me at christinashahli.com forward slash let's chat.